Any education apart from Jesus Christ is for us miseducation. And it produces not education nor an educated man, but a new race of barbarians who are today busily destroying their civilization. Humanistic education is the institutionalized love of death. Christian education, because it serves him who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, is the love of life. This is the Love of Life podcast, conversations with Jesse and Courtney. Okay, great. Wrong. <laughs> I'll edit this. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> we won't really have this in. Yeah, and now you should because you tricked me <laughs> on the first one. Oh, yeah, I, I was did talking trick about you. random stuff, and then you're like, oh, don't worry, this is just trial. Okay, so, okay, so this is episode seven, I think we're on now. Something like that. Do you, hello? (laughs) It could be, I don't know. Okay. (laughs) You've been numbering them, so. Great. And so this particular episode, we want to discuss observations that we have made in the Word, right? Yes, just from what we've been reading recently. Okay, great. So you've had a few. What have you? What have you been reading lately? I've been in Hebrews. What are, What have you been in? So I finished Revelation, um, and then this week there's not. This week, past week, there hasn't been assigned reading because I'm between Bible reading challenges. The summer one just ended, and then the new one starts on Monday, which I have to find. Um, I think it's just called the Bible Reading Challenge, and you can get it on whatever any app, any Bible app. Um, so I just picked John. I reread the Gospel of John. Okay. And it's awesome. <laughs> uh, specifically, I really, really love John 15. When I read John 15, it was like, I could just camp here. I could stay in John 15 for a long time. Do you want me to read part of it? Some of the verses I jotted down? Why don't you just read a few of the verses that have stood out to you? Okay, so the first thing is um, from the first two verses, chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the wine. Is The first thing is from John 15. The father is not wine. Yeah. Let's get that clear. Okay, fine. Right. <laughs> I am the true... Okay, beginning of John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch that bears not fruit in me, he takes away. And every one that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Um, Which I just thought, this is so cool because it's more reasons, it gives you more reasons to rejoice when we face trials and temptations. Um, Some of it, some of the temptations we face could be pruning. Some of the trials could be this very pruning um, that God does to those who are in him. So, when we're pruned, when we face things that are, you know, difficult and hard and it's God's pruning, we can rejoice because it's a sign that we belong to him. So there's like comfort in the pruning. And I just found that to be amazing and echoing James of 
we rejoice when we face trials and temptations of many kinds because of the work God's doing in us. So like in pruning, God's doing a work in us so that we'll bear more fruit. And it's not like, oh, you're being pruned because you haven't been faithful. It's you're being pruned because you're really in him. And he's going to cause you to bear more fruit, just like when we prune, which I've gone pruning crazy um, in the last couple of months here around our house, just with plants and stuff. And it's amazing to see that what you cut back does grow faster and more and pruning really does work. So um, I just thought that was neat. So when Jesus talks about pruning here, he's talking about trials and temptations in our life. He said, I think so. I mean, this doesn't specifically say trials and temptations, but it does say that um, to the branches that don't bear fruit, he takes them away. But everyone that bears fruit, which would mean you're, you know, you're being faithful, you're being obedient, you're doing good. He prunes it that mm-hmm. it may bring forth more fruit. And pruning's not pleasant. <laughs> pruning is a trimming. It's a cutting off of what's dead or not growing well, or um, or maybe just as a slow growth, you know. Because I think the intent is not, it's not that you're not in him, but you are, you are bearing fruit. Everyone that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Um, if we have a tree that's doing good, you know, producing peaches, but then, well, somebody told me once that if you have a peach tree and you cut the top, even if the top's bearing fruit, then more fruit will come and produce around the bottom. So like pruning is this natural thing that we see, that we experience, that we do when we trim our our fruit trees or, you know, just our flowers or whatever, then more comes. Um, but pruning might not be pleasant, which is where I'm inferring trials and temptations mm-hmm. could be a part of that pruning. Yeah. Do you disagree? No, okay. no. I was just getting wanted to get more of your thought on it. Okay. Um, I'm also amazed. I want to, when I go through the New Testament again, try to keep track of a list. But I think I've mentioned before, like how amazed I am at how many times we're warned to be careful, to beware, to watch how you live, like all the warnings. Um, And just a few of them that I noticed, I didn't faithfully write them down for all of John, but in this chapter specifically, there were a lot. So I just jotted the ones down from John 15. Um, remain, abide, bear fruit, continue, keep my commands. Those are all like calls to action and seem, you know, kind of warning, warning oriented. Mm-hmm. Be sure you do this. Remain, abide, bear fruit, continue, keep my commands. Um, there are also just some really sweet promises. Uh, John fifteen seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will and it shall be done to you. Um, So again, we're seeing like this thing about prayer. If we abide in him and his words are in us, we can ask what we will because our will will be aligned to his will. Um, His will being revealed in his word and it shall be done unto you. Um, And then John 15, 10 If you shall keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Um, These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. So, 
keep his commands and we get to abide in his love. And that brings joy, brings fullness of joy. Um, so that is another, another promise. So I just saw a lot of pray, obey, bear fruit in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of things we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Also interesting about John, can't remember where I read this, maybe in one of our study Bibles, but the word believe is used 99 times in this wow. 21 chapter book, which wow. is a lot. Which kind of correlates to what you just told me about Hebrews. What you read in Hebrews. Well, going back to what you said, verse 12 talks about um, taking heed. You know, you were you, your points were. What chapter? Uh, of chapter 3, okay. Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, you made the point that there's lots of warnings. And there are lots of warnings in the Gospels and in the epistles how we should walk, to be weary, um, take heed, uh, pay attention. Those types of things are inferred. Um, So one of the things that is talked about in Hebrews 3.19 is the, the verse says, so we see that they could not enter in, that is the people of Israel, they could not enter in because of unbelief. Going back a few verses, um, in verse 12, it says, Take heed, brothers, lest at any time there be any of you an evil and unfaithful heart to depart away from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ, if we keep sure unto the end the beginning by which we are upheld. So long as it is said, Today if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, provoked him to anger, but not all who came out of Egypt with Moses. But with whom was he displeased 40 years? Was he not displeased with those who sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom he swore that they should not enter into his rest, but into those who obeyed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. What seems to be inferred here is you had the people of Israel they did a lot of sinning, talks about in the Old Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it lists some of those sins. It talks about grumbling, complaining, sexual immorality. Uh, but in verse 19, it says, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. It seems that the the root cause or the foundation of, of their sin was unbelief. That's crazy. Which is really really insane that what led to what I assume then led to all of those particular sins for the people of Israel was, uh, was unbelief in their hearts, which led them to sin. And (laughs) that unbelief can be even traced back to our unbelief or any unbelief is traced back to the garden and the temptation. Has God really said Mm. that's Satan's question to, to Eve that is that is the enemy's question to us now. Does did God really say this? And and it's that it's that usurping of God in His law to to form in us unbelief, to push us away from belief in God's word and God's truth. And 
And what does unbelief breed and what does it lead to? It leads to a pattern in a life of sin. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, I mean, like with Satan's question, it's, can you really trust God? Right. Is he really who he says he is? Is that really the way the world works? Is that, it's an undermining of their belief in him and his goodness. Uh, another thing that that made me think about in John is Jesus over and over when he's talking to the Pharisees, he's like, you can't hear. I'm telling you these things, but you can't hear. Their unbelief had blinded them and made them deaf. They could not hear the words of life from the very maker and giver of life as he stood before them incarnate because their unbelief. Yeah. It made it like the truth was right at them, right directly in their ears, and they couldn't comprehend it. Unbelief hardens. It hardens the heart. Yeah. Has God really said? Yeah. So that kind of goes to that other part in Hebrews, admonish one another. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually the first um, take or whatever. The first thing that I wanted to uh, talk about was exhorting verse 13 of chapter three in Hebrews says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So even Hebrews prescribes daily admonishment of one another. So whoever we have in our life, I, you know, we're, we're blessed to be married, to be on a similar path, to admonish one another, literally daily, um, so that we don't fall into sin. But the thing that we've talked about is, gosh, how long, how long have we gone in the past where we weren't, we weren't living up to this? Mm-hmm. We, we weren't, and it's, and it's, it's sadly, it was, it was too easy to be out of the habit and the practice of, of not doing, of not admonishing and exhorting one another daily. What Hebrews is saying is that sin is so powerful that it it needs to be uh, pushed back on the daily. Yeah. It needs to be part of our, I mean, just like food for the body and just like exercise is good for the body, just like sleep is necessary for the body. Hebrews so states that exhorting one another and bringing up the spiritual, talking about the Lord and his law Praying with one another, uh, you know the the exhortation of one to one another is essential for the for the Christian, for the stability of the Christian life, and for the pushing back of the deceitfulness of sin. Yeah, we have to abide. We, we have, have to, to abide. remain. Which talking about the Lord, talking about what we're reading, and just daily reading and daily praying, it's like there is so much to talk about when you're doing that daily, but we all, our hearts need it. Where did we just hear about, uh, this is stuck with me. It was in one of the, something on the Canon app, but, um, somebody <laughs> said, and it's, it's in the Bible, but how sin is so, um, crafty and deceptive that we can both deceive ourselves, be the deceiver and the deceived. Mm. Like we are both like we, we buy the lies we're telling mm-hmm. ourselves, you know, like we will believe in untruth and then we will believe ourselves. It's crazy. Yeah. Just how we need the light of God's word to shine into the darkness to, we can't trust our hearts and we can't trust our minds 
because we are so easily deceived. We're not infallible. Like, but God's word, that perfect law that reflects truth and shows us what's really in our hearts, um, keeps us in him, keeps us knowing truth. And it's the guard against being self-deceived. Yeah. I feel like um, just this reminded me when you read that. There's something in John about, I can find it. Um, in chapter 13, uh, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, and as much as he loved his own who were in the world, unto the end he loved them. Um, so they're eating supper. Judas, this is when he goes out to betray him. And in 13, verse 30, it says, As soon then as he had received the piece of bread, Judas, which John had just asked Jesus, who's going to be the one that will betray you? And he said, the one that I'm going to dip this bread in. Uh, I'm going to dip this bread in whoever I give this to. So as soon as he had, so he gave, he dipped the bread and gave it to Judas. As soon as he had received the piece of bread, he went out immediately. And it was night. And this like starts the lead up to the crucifixion. Um, so that was interesting. Yeah. Like the beginning of it. It's like all of a sudden, like I, it was day. And then he gives him the bread. He goes out to betray him. And it was night. Darkness mm. falls. Yeah. Darkness is coming. This is reaching a little bit. Okay. Okay. But it's fun to reach a little bit. Uh, the very uh, first few chapters of Genesis, chapter one. Or the, it's in, in chapter one, the first few verse, the first few verses it says God separated the light from the darkness. We see that over and over again in the epistles when it talks about this, you know, di- dichotomy between we are children of light, they are children of darkness, and that verse makes me think of that. Yeah, it's like he, it's night. Well, and you know when Judas does this, yeah, well, God separates the light from the darkness. And he did it at creation. It's reaching a little bit. No, that's cool. But, you know, it's kind of that Jonathan Edwards. Uh, uh, types. 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 Typology. Yeah. Not typography. <laughs> See, you you mess me up when you say that. <laughs> sorry. When you're like, it's not this. Like, yeah, then I, then I, then I, then I. Type, then I typology. All the types. Yes. And the shadows. Typology. Which, okay. Ooh, that's another cool thing that I just read recently. Hopefully I can find this one quickly. I think it was on page 68. Yeah, because I read this to you. I thought this is cool. This is back to the prayer book, which I finally finished tonight. Um, this is The Return of Prayers by Thomas Goodwin. And it says, Moses prayed that he might go into Canaan. God answered the ground of his prayer for Moses's comfort and his own glory, though not in the manner Moses requested. For God took him up into heaven, the true Canaan, whereof the earthly Canaan was but a type. And God appointed Joshua, whom Moses himself had tutored and brought up as his pupil, servant, and attendant. This was more for God's glory because Joshua was a type of Christ, leading us to heaven, since the law, of which Moses was the type, could not do by reason of the weakness of it. It was not so much for God's glory that one man should do all. Whereas Moses desired to have the honor of it, the fact that his servant Joshua was the man that should do it was a great was as great an honor for Moses. So David, when he desired to build the temple for the same reason, 
God denied it, yet honored him to prepare the materials and to draw the pattern so his son could build it, who was also a type of Christ, being a prince of peace. Um, Likewise, God accepted this prayer of David as if he had built it and will recompense him. Recompense? Recompense. And will recompense him as much. Just the types thing. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool when I read that. I thought that was really interesting and intriguing when I read that. Let me just say this mind-boggling piece of truth. I will never get tired of reading the very last verse in John. Okay. Okay. Why? <laughs> it's it's mind-blowing. It's Okay. And poetic and like the more you think about it, the more it's amazing. John 21 25. Now there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they should be written, every one, I suppose the world could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. That's a lot of books. That's a lot of books. But when you think about that through him, all things were made for him, by him, everything that was made by Jesus, for Jesus, for his glory, everything centers around him. Of yeah. course, of course, the world couldn't contain all the books that could be written of him. I just love that. Yeah. If ever your perspective is too small about who he is and all that he's done and all that he's yet to do, just read John 21, 25. In every translation that I've read it, it's amazing. There's something else from Genesis that you just told me. Oh, and I had the thing about Revelation. In Revelation? Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why don't you do your thing about Revelation? Do you know where it's at in Revelation? I hope so. Okay. You do your thing in Genesis and I'll find it. My thing in Genesis? <laughs> okay. My thing in Genesis is, well, some people will falsely say that Genesis is the beginning chapters are... Uh, just lots of symbols. Mm-hmm. So the serpent must not be an actual serpent or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil must not be a real tree. It really stands for something else. It's a symbol. Some people will say, this has been argued now for quite a while. But what's interesting is how literal Genesis says the tree of the knowledge was, how literal the snake was, clearly. And if you look at the verse uh following the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where it was at you have a literal you have you have four literal rivers that were mentioned you have um the uh the i think it's the pishon the tigris uh the euphrates and the other one's escaping me but you have four literal rivers that are mentioned and my thought or my take is if if people want to essentially talk about and say that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is symbolic, and yet Genesis refers to it as such a literal tree, then why would we not then say, well, then these rivers are symbolic too for something else entirely? But they're not. I mean, they're 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 clearly four rivers that flow out of Eden. So our flow into Eden. I think it's out of or Eden. And then wouldn't the trees we see outside now be symbolic and not right? Real? The, yeah, exactly. And then yeah. <laughs> so then all the things that God made, the plants bearing fruit according to their own kind, fruit trees, 
the, the, the beasts that swim in the ocean, Genesis talks about, the birds that fly in the heavens. Why, if, if, if Genesis, the first few chapters are symbolic, which they're not, why in the world would everything else be so literal? Everything in, that chap- in the first two chapters that God makes is literal. Man is a literal <laughs> human being out of the, formed out of the ground, of the dust of the earth. Um, this is an assault on Genesis. And it's also very strategic by the enemy. Presupposing, well, a few things. There's many assaults on Genesis, and there have been now for a while. But one is to say that we can infer that perhaps the, the, the tree is symbolic. The day, the word day, uh, is somehow symbolic. And somehow God made the world in billions of years through theistic evolution. It's nonsense. It's silly. Um, so these are, these are literal things that Genesis says. It is not poetry. It is, it is a literal word from God. It is, it is a record for the children of man, for all generations to read and to know. No, this is not every jot and tittle scientifically of how God made the world or a manual of how God made the world, but this is a record of the generations. It says in verse two, four, uh, chapter uh, two, verse four, that these are the, that this is the account of Genesis, that this is the account of how God made the world in a literal way with the word of his mouth and his power. And he did it in six literal days. Okay. so (laughs) Yeah. I love that. That's great. And it's like you, told me because you're memorizing Genesis that those things that seem small, just the way that they stand out because they're not small, but it's easy to read over it. Like it's mining for gold in a different way. It's how you've put it. Mm -hmm. I love, so I love when you're like this, this from Genesis, I've been thinking about this because you're the way it causes you to stop and examine it because you're memorizing it. Like you chew on it so much longer. So yeah. I like hearing those things. Yeah. So what is your take in Revelation? So what chapter in Genesis does it talk about the tree of life? Chapter two. Okay. So then Revelation 22, verse two, in the midst of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore 12 kinds of fruits and gave fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree served to heal the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. It's talking about the end, the consummation of all things that we see the tree of life. When I read that, I was like, what? That's so (laughs) neat. Like God being the ultimate storyteller that you see the tree of life in the very beginning of the story. And then when we get this glimpse of the end of the story, that the tree of life is there again. I don't know. There's something about the perfect bookend of seeing the tree in the beginning and the tree in the end just to me was so beautiful, so complete, so robust. So, I mean, the way that we try to tell our stories as humans, you know, we try, we love to weave elements in the beginning that circle around and come back in the end. It's like a gut punch. It's something that works so well in story. And, And God is the greatest storyteller. Yeah. And so he gives this to us here. Thank you for listening to the Love of Life podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. It is our duty through our schools 
to create a new one, a God-centered one. We are told in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death.